It's been demonstrated that procuring locally, um, hiring and training locally is beneficial to a company. You have to be part of it in whatever industry is in your backyard, but there's also the new way of doing business as well, which OCM does, which is participating in the uh, stock exchange, getting their seats at the table. We have a tendency in industry to watch what other people are doing and wait for somebody else to do something novel and different uh, and then try to follow that pattern. Embrace the change, have some courage, and be first. Welcome to the Exchange Feed podcast series. My name is Monica Ham, Client Success Specialist based in Vancouver. Our recording will provide insights on different ways for companies to engage with Indigenous communities and how to go about making the decisions that fit the needs of the community. And to discuss the many different levels of engagement, I have with me three guests that I am very excited to introduce to you. First, we have Lana Eagle. Lana is an Indigenous relations strategist advising companies on how to engage and work with Indigenous communities to find a path forward. She is also a member and advisor on a number of boards, predominantly in the mining space. Lana is also a member of the White Cap Dakota First Nation in Saskatchewan. Next, we have Onikanu Christian Sinclair from the Opaskwayak Cree Nation in Manitoba. Chief Sinclair is an independent director at High Tide Inc. and is highly sought after as a negotiator and project manager for Indigenous communities and corporations. He is adept at bridging the interests between First Nations and various industries to mutually beneficial opportunities. Our last guest is Justin Himmelwright, VP Sustainability at Skeener Resources. Justin has over 25 years of experience in a variety of roles for several publicly listed companies and has worked as a consultant to Indigenous communities on mining projects within their territories. Justin has a Bachelor of Science in Biology and a Master of Engineering from UBC. He is currently an adjunct professor at UBC on the topic of Indigenous peoples and mining in Canada. Thank you all for being part of this discussion today. I would like to start out by saying that while employment of local Indigenous people, the dialogue with their communities and providing levels of community support are all meaningful strides, we also want to talk about other strategies that can be seen as more effective engagement, equity ownership and board participation. Lana, perhaps you can start us off. When should companies begin communicating with the communities in which they plan to work? I think we're talking about one of the most important issues in Canada today. I'm also pleased to say that I'm calling from the community of Campbell River, which is located on Vancouver Island. It's a very beautiful part of the world, and it's within the traditional territories of the Kwayaka Nation, Wiwekai, and Wiwekum. And I've always been a proponent of early engagement. So what does that mean? It means getting in early, before there's an agreement to negotiate before there's um, a mind to develop and, and how well are we doing on that front? And I think, you know, we're starting to have different organizations like Mac, for instance, that's working towards sustainable mining. And in that, you know, they are able to get a report from the communities that are willing to say, how well are these mining companies really doing? Then we have companies like the Skeena Resources, of which Justin is currently with, that are, are setting a new benchmark for, for us in the industry in terms of how we work with, with First Nation communities. So I think 
you know, we are starting to um, move forward even more so because the times require it. But it really is sad that here we are in 2021 and we're still talking about how we might do this from a government level. And I think, you know, First Nations across Canada, while, you know, it's easier to put us all under one blanket, we're not. We come from different histories and we have different issues that must be dealt with, that we want dealt with, that have not been dealt with to date. Maybe they're starting to be dealt with. But I think Christian can answer that more too as the chief of his community and Justin with the work that they're doing with the Tall Tan in Northern BC. Absolutely. Uh, Chris or Justin, would you like to add anything to what Lana just said? I'll give Justin the opportunity to go first. Go ahead, Justin. Oh, thanks, Chris. Um, yeah, I just want to build a little bit maybe on, on uh, some of the comments that, that Lana was making. Um, it's been a common wisdom, I think, for quite a few years, that, that phrase of engage early and engage often. Um, and uh, it's a little bit um, cliche to say that now. So what does that really mean is really what we're driving at. Um, and, you know, um, Lana was pointing out there's a, there's a need to do this um, before there's a need for an agreement. Um, before, um, you know, your project really becomes a serious consideration, you need to be building the relationship um, and um, engaging uh, with, uh, with the community. So I, I want to I tag on to that particular word, community, um, because I think it's very important to understanding um, uh, the, the context of, of engagement. If you are um, moving into a neighborhood, which is effectively what you are doing uh, as a mineral development or a mining company, you are moving into a neighborhood. You are becoming a part of that community. Um, and whether you like it or not, you are influencing and impacting the lives of, of people who are there. Um, and so if you take that perspective, if you understand that, um, that is what the impact that you are having. Um, and you incorporate that into the value system um, that uh, drives the governance of the business that you are working for, then it just becomes an automatic that you, of course, are going to meet with the members, the members of the new community um, that you uh, want to move into before you move ahead to start creating a business in that area. So it's more than just engaging early and engaging often. It, it's about being a part of the community that you are moving into and impacting. So it, you know, to sort of sum it up, it's about being a part of the community. Um, it's about having the values of your organization drive you to engage with the community on a community-based level first, uh, and, and then the rest of it flows from there. So I'll, and, I'll, with that, I'll turn it over to Chris. Yeah, and, and all very good points. And I would say that the one word that keeps coming to my mind when I heard you speaking is respect. Respecting the community, respecting the people, respecting their values. And then I think, you know, the transparency, the trust, um, everything else as well. Super important. Hi, good morning, everyone. Tansu, Onigani, Christian Sinclair, It's an honor and a pleasure to be able to speak with you all today. And Lena, being a friend uh, for many years ago, we 
cross paths when I was working with the James Bay Cree in northern Quebec, who I think, uh, as far as he wrote the book on how to do things uh, very uh, efficiently and effectively, recognizing as the two presenters have said previously is that it's, first of all, building that relationship. And in the Cree world of our territory, Swampy Cree, located six and a half hours north of Winnipeg, uh, we have our Cree law known as Wagotwin, and that's all about relationships, which starts... Uh, within the individual, the family unit, the community, and then others from there. So if you build that relationship, getting to know yourselves as partners, uh, building that uh, trust factor uh, is very key, and sharing the philosophy and finding that balance because there's a difference between the corporate uh, objectives and the First Nation or Indigenous perspectives. And money drives people, our environment is first and foremost money comes second to that uh, and of course money is what helps support our social uh, economic initiatives as a nation going forward so we're learning the the world of business both from an industrial local level to a corporate level and now in our case as a pass track and international level so that's a whole new level of business uh, with the uh, publicly traded companies as opposed to working with industry and uh, bricks and mortar industry type businesses and Lana, the next question I have, um, and Chris and Justin, feel free to jump in as well, are what are the most common forms of engagement with, with Indigenous communities, such as, you know, maybe you can touch on job creation, local procurement, revenue sharing, ownership, things like that. Yeah, I think that is to some, um, it's taking place, you know, largely um, across um, Canada. I think you know now that we have um, the DRIPA Act here in BC signed. Um, I think you know companies are striving um, to have better relationships with um, communities with First Nations, and I think companies like Skina are a good example. And as I mentioned earlier, setting the bar. I remember, you know, in the previous decade when New Gold at their New Afton mine was setting a new bar in terms of how to engage with communities. And, and, you know, some of the um, outfall from that was that other, and I'll use the term issuers, seeing we're, you know, um, on this podcast, were not happy with this new bar because it just meant more work and certainly, you know, greater expectation from First Nations on how these relationships might develop. But over time, I think it's been demonstrated that, you know, procuring locally, um, hiring and training locally is beneficial to a company. and especially when a mine or a development is rurally or remotely located, it is a good um, part of a good business plan going forward to include people from that, um, from that area. But, you know, um, it starts even before that, you know, in being willing to have discussions, you know, what are the important things to uh, the community? And often we talk about the environment, you know, in, very quickly, but there are issues. And it, I often wonder if some of those issues are even discussed or to what level they're discussed. You know, unless that community has um, implemented within their own uh, community um, a way to, to work with um, environmental issues and, and so on. So they, they will be concerned about water. They will be concerned about tailings. They will be concerned about the impact on um, the um, plants and, and the and the and the animals, but you know until we're willing to have those kind of discussions, and I think you know it comes down to the kind of people that work for your company. 
Um, and when you create that culture that those those individuals who will be responsible for building those relationships, who will be responsible for um, listening and for um, bringing forward the concerns, who will be responsible for finding ways to make things work better, uh, that those people have an openness to working with Indigenous people. I think, I think that's really key. And likewise with Indigenous people, open to you know, the mind going forward, provided that they are being listened to, that there is an avenue for concerns to be raised. Um, Chris talked about that as well, you know, and, and, and finding a way to work with the Cree. Now, the Cree in northern Manitoba, where Chris is from, are likely different from the people where um, Skeena has their uh, mine located with the Taltan. They're different people. They have different issues. They have different laws. They have different things that are important to them. But if I have great success working in Chris's community, I can't presume that that is the same thing that has to be done over in the Taltan area because they're remarkably different people. And within their own um, development of their own selves, they have remarkably different experiences. And um, so we have to be willing to work with that. So that's kind of where I'm coming from on this early stuff. And that's long before there's a promise of training and jobs and procurement. Absolutely. That's, you know, that's a really good point that each community and um, the people from each community, it's not cookie cutter. It has to be treated. Each one has to be taken into, into consideration and treated um, as needed and, and respectful with um, taking the community's needs into consideration. Justin, was that was that your experience working with the Talton central government? And maybe we can switch gears a little bit here. And if you can maybe give us an idea of what prompted you to enter into an investment agreement with the Talton central government. Um, yeah, no, happy to happy to tackle that that uh, that question or that discussion um, if I can just make a couple of comments on on uh, the engagement uh, discussion uh, first uh, that Lana was was discussing and and, and agree completely you know that there's it's such a huge variety and every circumstance is different and um, you can't presume that uh, the engagement um, approach that you've used in one place uh, will work the same in another place. Yeah. Uh, it's also very, very important for uh, people in industry to recognize and understand that the simple provision of jobs uh, is not your magic uh, engagement tool, right? The promise of bringing jobs to a region does not get you across the line. That's one thing that you you have to do. You should do. You have to do. Uh, but there's so many other things that that um, that you can bring to the table. So for me, there's there's a very simple question which is, uh, does it make people's lives better? An idea comes to you, does it make people's lives better? And if the answer is yes, then the next one, can this be an engagement approach? So uh, you can't answer the first one without understanding the community and knowing the people, because how else do you know if it's going to make their lives better or if it's something that they want or need? So get to know the, know the community, be a part of the community, and ask yourself that question. Uh, and, and if the answer is yes, then you, you probably have a, a good engagement strategy or a good engagement approach on your hands. 
Um, coming to the point of, of investment and equity in projects, um, for mining projects, uh, you know, it's quite, um, it is becoming a very um, consistent application across the country with different projects, particularly new ones, and then retroactively even in some of the older ones or legacy projects uh, for Indigenous communities to be participants in equity. Um, that comes in the form quite often of impact benefit agreement uh, or you know, impact benefit agreements have a number of different labels uh, that get applied to them in different places across the country. Um, and they have a, a you know a, a quite a, a shopping list of contents that goes into them, uh, but inevitably one of them is is the question of, of equity. So it it's it is a very consistent uh, component of a of a mining project or becoming very consistent component of a mining project um, across the country. Um, what is unusual in the Skeena Taltan case is that we have done this well in advance of having an impact benefit agreement in place. Um, and, you know, participating in equity in a project that is uh, going into construction or moving into operation uh, captures a certain piece of the value of that project. But there's a very important piece that is often left out, which is in the early stages of a project. When you are exploring um, and you are creating the ideas for your project development, um, you know, you, if you're a publicly traded company, um, you have a market cap, right? This, this is the value of your organization based on what the market is willing to pay for shares in your company. Um, and um, if you are a member of the community, uh, you want to share that um, prosperity with your community members, right? That's an important value to have. Um, and so, you know, in our case, um, it was, you know, quite an easy um, uh, concept to bring forward, quite an easy one for our management team to get their head around because we are generating value. We're generating value for our shareholders and the Indigenous nations in the neighborhood in which we participate should be able to participate in that value that we're creating. Absolutely. Chris, I don't know if you want to elaborate on um, what you have seen with regards to projects impacting your community as well. Yeah, in our case, uh, we're a hub that runs a number of other Swampy Creek communities within the Swampy Creek Tribal Council. Uh, but we have a major rail line that comes through our home community of El Pasquiac and goes right up to the Port of Churchill, the only deep sea port in northern Canada. Uh, for 100 years, we watched our train go by our community with no participation in any way whatsoever. Uh, until recently, um, uh, the, the company from the U.S., Denver, went under. So what I did is worked with the uh, mayor of Churchill and united the townships and the First Nations, 30 of them in northern Manitoba, to come together, create a... Uh, new company jointly and basically take over that rail line. So fast forward to today, we own 77% of that rail line company. Well, not 77%, we're 77% our first nation of that holding. So technically we should own 77% or participate in 77% of every aspect of that operation, which we are now positioning to do. Uh, and that will eventually allow us as Opasquack even to become the Opasquack International Grain Shipping Company, where we'll be working with farmers bringing them to our channels out facility here in Ocean, and then we load on trains and ship up to Churchill to the international markets. But we had to take our seat at the table. We didn't ask for it, we took it, because after seeing 100 years of the trains go by with no economic participation, it was time to grab the bull by the horns and take control of that process. 
Secondly, having a paper mill in our backyard, again, a lot of this uh, foreign uh, ownership or ownership from other parts of Canada were operating in our backyard. Uh, so fast forward again, based on lessons learned under Section 35 of the Constitution to uh, meaningfully uh, nego- you know, uh, nego- accommodate and uh, what's the other con- consult with First Nations to get their opportunity to participate in any uh, development in their ter- territory. So in this case, uh, fast forward where again, we're on the outside looking in. We now have 50% control of one of the largest forest management licenses in North America. So no trees will be cut down in Opaspec traditional territory without our participation, which I'm proud to say one of our own Ben members has now got the contract to harvest the uh, forestry uh, within our traditional territory. And that'll play out within the other surrounding uh, Swampy Cree and other Northern First Nations in Manitoba. So there's economic benefits that benefits the social aspect of their lives and their communities and their families. So knowing that we have a fast-growing demographic as well, we also have to find that balance as leaders in as communities today because... Yes, environment is number one, but we're going to have to find some balance to ensure that there is socio-economic opportunities for our fast-growing demographic, which in our case makes up 65-70% of Opasarac being under the age of 18, and they're only growing faster. And ultimately, the world is growing just as fast, where by 2050, if not sooner, the world's population is going to hit 9 billion. So they're demanding the natural resource wealth of Canada. So if we're going to participate, our communities, our leadership tables also have to learn the new way of doing business, if you will. A lot of them are, such as Taltan, uh, the clients that Lana works with, some of the First Nations I worked with in uh, Quebec, Northern Manitoba, Alberta. You have to be part of it in whatever industry is in your backyard. But there's also the new way of doing business as well, which OCN does, which is participating in the uh, stock exchange, getting their seats at the table, where we make strategic investments uh, anywhere from 3 to $35 million. That has to come with a seat in order for us to learn that new way of doing business and being able to make those sound decisions that allow for revenue from other parts of Canada around the world to flow back to Opasquiax Treasury, in our case. Chris, that leads me to my next question. How did you end up being an independent director at two um, publicly listed companies? Well, when the federal government announced that they were going to legalize cannabis in 2017, and at the United Nations table, the former... uh, Health Minister Philpott stated very clearly that First Nations or Indigenous people will be part of this. But if we left it to the government, uh, we'd still be winning, and we unfortunately still are winning. So Pasquay turned the tables and approached some companies uh, that were in the early stages of development, knowing that it was going to become legal. So with us, when I inherited the, uh, I'll call it the, the mess of the Pasquay creation, where they were near third party and near bankruptcy, we mobilized, consolidated our debt, and joined the First Nations Financial Authority, which consolidated our, our own source revenues, which in Opasquiac's case was about $7 million. Being able to borrow on the international bond markets uh, turned that into a $56 million award just because you're able to borrow 10 to 12 times for every dollar you make and can amortize it over 25, 30 years. So we consolidated our debt, took a piece of that, invested in the medical cannabis company before uh, cannabis became legal, knowing that it was going to convert to a retailer. So that company was called National Access Cannabis. That went public. We got in on the IPO with $3 million investment. Uh, it eventually became legal to do retail, which turned into the Meta Supply Company, Cannabis Supply Company. And just uh, late last year, it was bought out by High Tide, which is now the largest retailer in Canada. And anytime we made those investments, I ensured that we negotiated a seat at the board knowing that we were making these types of uh, dollar amounts for investment. 
So we're literally buying our seat, but not, not being there as a token position, but learning uh, as much as they're learning from us about the potential of First Nations and Indigenous people and the financial resources that we have here, not only in Canada, but in the U.S. And I think that's starting to open the eyes of the investment world that there's money to be uh, invested on and allow, not allowing, but inviting First Nations or Indigenous people to those corporate tables to participate and help them in their strategies. To give you an example of a story, when I was first on the board, the company was growing very rapidly, expanding across Canada under Meta. And uh, they were free, trying to figure out how to get $35 million. Uh, so as I was sitting there, they had exhausted all their options and discussions. So as I sat there, I said, you know what? I said, I think I can help you guys. Because we were able to bore up to $56 million, they needed $35 million on a short-term loan. I went back to my nation, uh, our council table, and our treasury board presented the opportunity and came back to them and said, okay, we can lend it to you, but on these terms. So lucrative uh, interest and lucrative uh, loan terms, which has provided a nice revenue stream for our past week. So we become part of a solution that can you know, help corporate uh, companies at that scale within that particular industry. Um, Chris, just getting back to something you said, what unique insights do you feel that you bring personally to the board, that, well, to I'm, the boards that you sit on? Yeah, having a, I guess, a very diverse background from being ex-military and special forces, traveling internationally, uh, working in the nonprofit sector, running the North American Indigenous Games, working with First Nation, Métis, Inuit, and Native Americans, and then working in mining, oil and gas, and forestry, uh, bringing those things that I've learned along the way and bringing it to our table, not only for our First Nation, but for industry and government as well, because everybody's learning as we go. And as someone said earlier, it's 2021. Our treaty was signed, Treaty 5, in 1875, and just in the very recent uh, history here, we're getting those seats and demanding the seats at the tables under Section 35 of the Constitution, but also on the investment side, learning how to do business on those publicly traded companies. So we have to take our seat. We have to be assertive in a respectful way, but educate our partners just as much as they're educating us on their way of business as it is our way of business, because I always say... When you bring scientists and engineers to the table, that's great. But our elders, our knowledge keepers, knowledge is just as important as those uh, people that learn in the uh, uh, fields of education. Because as one elder said, there's a difference between education and knowledge. Knowledge is life experience. Education you learn in the, in the halls of study. But combining those two is where you find your true balance. And it's not always about money. Ultimately, you want to make money. But you got to have that social balance. And in order to get that, you got to earn that social license by listening with your two ears and talking less with your one mouth. <laughs> Something that we should all live by. <laughs> um, my next question is probably one that all three of you have some, can have some input into. And what are some of the what are some of the, I'm going to say, missteps that companies make during engagement or some of the community support measures that companies can put in place that can potentially jeopardize the relationship? If I can start on this one, if you don't mind, because I just had a recent experience, Len and Justin, uh, uh, if you'll uh, entertain me a bit. But it's very interesting. We had a company come to Opasquiac, as well as some communities up in northern Manitoba, one of them came in and the questions that were asked by our community was, uh, okay, how are we going to do this? And one of the companies that presented with a competing interest said, well, here's how we're going to do it for you. We've laid out the plan and this is what it's going to be and here's your share. They basically had it all figured out for us without even allowing us to have a say. 
So we said, okay, thank you very much. The next company came in in the afternoon. They presented and said, well, we have a whiteboard. We're going to sit down together, and together we're going to build what that looks like going forward. So just by that approach alone, we chose that company to work with and said thanks, but no thanks to the other company because coming in there with presumptions that they have all the answers for us and they know what's good for us, that's paternalistic. That's the old way of doing business. That doesn't work in this day and age, and it never has prior to you know, any development. So as we move forward, that's the message people got to take is come in with an open mind, an open heart, and a blank slate, and we'll build what you want to achieve together that will truly find that social social economic balance for the mutual benefit of all. Thank you. Um, if I can talk here, I totally agree with everything that Chris has said. Um, I think being presumptuous and thinking that things, um, we have all the answers, we being industry, we being issuers, uh, that we have all the answers and we'll go in and, and help these poor people out by, you know, letting them have only this part. You know, we're, we, we are not in the right frame of mind. So the approach becomes really important. And I think coming in and having those open and honest discussions is clearly um, a good starting place. And I think, you know, all too often, I think what we're doing as Indigenous people is sitting back and waiting for these invitations to happen. And I think what I've learned from Chris today is a really valuable lesson that we have to start um, finding our own invitations to be at the table and, and making known to companies that we are interested in being on their boards. And it takes a certain amount of courage and a certain amount of assertiveness to do that. But um, it can be done. And it's done for the um, for the um, overall good of the company, as you know. Chris has talked about high tide and how they benefited from his um, participation as a director. And so I think what will happen is is um, not only you know are we seeing these movements, these understandings, these changes, and how things might work happening at, at the C-suite level, senior management. But we're starting to see maybe some change shifting in terms of what boards are opening themselves up to with respect to Indigenous people being on the board. So as we start to see that change happen across the country, we should start to see more um, people, more Indigenous people participating on boards. I think, you know, if I'm if if I was giving advice to to, uh, you know, a company going in trying to build a relationship um, off the get go. Uh, you know, comes down to a pretty straightforward statement, which is check your assumptions. Like internally check your assumptions. What do you think you're you're walking into? What do you think uh, is the circumstance here? Have you researched it? Have you talked to anybody? Um, but, you know, uh, because I, I, I see that quite a bit. Pe you know, people um, will go into an engagement situation and not just with Indigenous communities, in any conversation. Uh, and they come in with preconceived notions uh, of what they're going to get in this conversation. Um, and if you can internally check that stuff and set it aside in a parking lot and leave yourself open, open and active listening mode, um, you're going to get off on a much better foot than if you come in assuming that you know what's happening. But that, yeah, I, I have to agree with with Chris 100%. That's that is the most classic and common mistake, which is the um, this is what we're doing. How do you like us so far? Uh, kind of an approach, which will will get you nowhere fast. And um, 
Yeah, very, very good points. Before we go, um, I just wanted to open it up to share some, for you to share some final advice that our listeners may be, that our listeners may benefit from. I think I would rather um, draw on an example of what happened this past summer. Well, now we're heading into summer again, but in the summer of 2020, when the Black Lives Matter movement was taking place across North America and um, in that, I think people became more aware of Indigenous people in Canada. And I had several young geologists and engineers, female, contact me. And, and, and their opening statement was, wow, I didn't even know I was racist. And, and then in the next step, wanting to, um, to learn more about their racism, their systemic racism, the ideas, the values they brought up with and to readily accept about Canada's Indigenous people and Canada's Black people. So, you know, to me, that was refreshing in, in a way that um, I realized, you know, people do want to, to learn more and to be better people and to value our First Nations in Canada. And I think that's where it starts is, is in that personal, you know, what's taking place in your heart. And, you know, I draw also on the example of um, Reconciliation Canada and um, you know, listening to um, the elder talk there about how we move reconciliation forward. And what he said to me was, it always starts in your own heart. Whatever it is, whatever we expect, whatever we want to change, it starts within each of us. So that's the thought that I'd like to leave today is if we're going to change Canada, change the way we do things, change the way how our industry does things, change the way how our company does things, it really begins within your heart individually. Um, my advice for, um, I guess, for, for more mineral development companies, reflecting on the fact that in Canada, we are moving forward as a society on a path of reconciliation uh, with, uh, with Indigenous people in the country. Um, and that is something um, that is uh, uniquely, I think, uh, Canadian. Um, and we can all be very proud, um, I think, of, of uh, taking the step in this direction. And it is just a step. There is a long path to, to, to travel here. Um, but embrace the change. Embrace the change. Um, yeah. Acknowledge it and um, understand it uh, and try to be an agent uh, for, uh, for furthering that uh, very meaningful and important shift in our society um, and have courage be first um, there's a real um, you know we have a tendency in industry to watch what other people are doing and wait for somebody else to do something novel and different uh, and then try to follow that pattern um, embrace the change have some courage uh, and be first go ahead and make changes um, Chris, do you have any final words of wisdom that you would like to leave us with? I have some final words. I don't know about wisdom, but uh, what uh, we did here in El Paso when I was first elected uh, just about five years ago is we moved on an economic impact study because I knew there was a lot of money within our area flowing out of El Paso into the surrounding communities. Uh, and what I wanted to prove to our nation is that we're a market onto ourselves you know, with 3,800 on reserve, 6,400 on our total ban list. And a lot of our money was 
uh, flowing out economic leakage, as they say. So when we initiated that study, we caught the attention of the Northern Chiefs, 31st Nations up north, that wanted to join that study. And then the Southern Chiefs, another 34 First Nations. So when we did that, we opened it up and said, okay, let's include everybody. Let's see what that looks like. Fast forward a year later when the study was complete, I guesstimated that the number would have been about three and a half, four billion uh, impact to the provincial economy. The number came back at $9.3 billion is what the Indigenous people of Manitoba contribute to the local economy based on the uh, 2016 census. So that shows us that we're a major uh, economic uh, player. And by showing the public and educating them on that, because a lot of people talk numbers, you don't hear people saying today anymore that we're a drain on the government system or the tax base system. When they now see the fact that we're major economic uh, net contributors to the GDP of Manitoba. So if every province was to do that across Canada, uh, and we learned that from the Mohawks of uh, Aquasasi, I believe it was, and the Mi'kmaq out east with their economic impact studies. So we initiated that year, and it proved and really shut down a lot of the negative feedback from people saying we're a drain on the uh, tax base. And if anything, we're net contributors, and it just goes to show the natural resource wealth that we're contributing and when we talk about the sharing of the lands and resources, we've played our part in honoring our treaty with the crown. They have never honored theirs, and until they do, we'll always be on the outside for the most part looking in. Unless we take our assertive uh, position and take our chair at the tables, government and corporate-wise, that's when we'll be able to be uh, players and masters of our own domains as we move forward. And that's really a message to uh, our Indigenous leadership, but also... Those that partner with the Indigenous people today are going to be that much farther ahead in the future, especially as it relates to resource development in our traditional territories. But it's a, a, an approach of balance that makes it a win-win for everybody. And that's really, at the end of the day, what it is. We're not anti-development, but if it, it's going to endanger our water supply and our environment, although there will be some impacts and we find that balance to mitigate that, then we can find that common ground and make it so that it benefits everyone going forward. Hey, go see that. Lana? Chris, Justin, thank you very, very much for your time today. I very much enjoyed our discussion. And I want to thank our listeners as well for joining us. Thank you.